0: Welcome to the DSR Ghost Writing Podcast, your source for information about content marketing, thought leadership, and how you can leverage the power of communication to build your industry profile, enhance your brand recognition, and position your inbound marketing for success. And here's your host, Daniel Rosehill. Hello there, welcome back to the DSR Ghostwriting Podcast. As you just heard in the intro, My name is Daniel Rosal, and this is officially episode number 12. Who knows if it's actually number 12 when I was uh, putting out episode number 11. I counted 10 preceding episodes and so it was officially determined on on Anchor's uh, management dashboard that it was episode 11 and hence this is 12 but uh, there could be a few more episodes beyond those but this is anyway the way the official numbering is going to be working. So in this episode, I want to take a look at a more practical issue about the cost of writing services. Now, in the previous episode, episode number 11, I looked at the Code Red uh, Thought Leadership Study. And if you're interested in getting you know the information available about thought leadership and why it works, and whether it works, and how it works, and how it doesn't work even, then I recommend uh, checking out that episode. It's the second episode in this podcast I've put out looking at a uh, study into thought leadership. The previous episode concerned the Edelman LinkedIn study and that was a bigger study of 3,000 or so uh, practitioners. This was a small study but by no means an insignificant study and I think whether you're like me, a, you know, a writer, a freelance writer putting out thought leadership or you're a content manager in house putting out thought leadership, or you're, uh, you know, you're you're in business for yourself. You're an entrepreneur, a solopreneur. You're trying to raise your profile. You're doing your own thought leadership. I think, regardless of which category you're in, um, the more data, the more hard information we have at our disposal, the better for everybody, really. Um, and you know, I think that this, even though as he said, it was a small segment, it adds to the pool. Good contribution to the previous study the edelman linkedin and that's in another episode so check out both those episodes if you're looking to uh, deepen your understanding of what makes successful thought leadership work and as i said also on the negative what makes um, thought leadership that misses the mark fail so check out those posts they're also on the blog and it's got i've just changed to a new url slightly although there's a redirect so you can get it either way my website is dsrghostwriting.com, that's dsr, and I'll give you a hint, uh, the middle letter is, is is my middle name, it's the, it's my middle initial, so dsrghostwriting.com forward slash insights. It used to be, it's kind of weird in WordPress, blog is taken up, so it had to be the blog, because it's a uh, WordPress multi-site installation. So as I'm uh, trying to convey insights, I thought, hey, the insights is a perfectly good url for that so dsrgoestradian.com forward slash insights is where the insights slash the blog is to be found dsrgoestradian.com slash podcast or the podcast they're both both will funnel on is where you can get the podcast episodes and this podcast can also be found on a wide list of providers including and i'm just looking through the list here it's quite amazing how far this anchor thing syndicates anchor apple google stitcher Radio Public, Spotify and some episodes, select episodes are going up on the DSR Ghostwriting YouTube channel. So whether you're an Apple junkie or an Android lover or neither, you should have a podcatcher uh, within which to get it. So check, check that out, check, that, check out the blog and check out those previous posts about thought leadership studies. So for today's episode, I was going to controversially call this, Can You Do It Cheaper?, But I decided that there's no need at this early stage of the podcast to be so, to court controversy and to be so inflammatory. So instead, I went for the more neutral uh, blog title, why I price writing services on spec. And in this podcast, what I want to discuss is for freelance clients, uh, I just want to explain the way writers price their work. Now, obviously as one person i can't speak for everybody but if you're getting quotes from a number of writers a number of thought leadership writers and you're, com- you're confused as to how it goes uh you know because i i get this line of questioning all the time what are your rates how much does it cost how, how does your pricing structure work and one of the purposes for me of this podcast and i hope by doing so i'll be contributing some value and information independent to whether you're looking for writing service or not People always ask me, explain explain your writing process, and I'll go through that in another episode, and uh, explain your pricing process, or how do you quote, and the truth is that I have put, as most writers have, a bit of thought into it, and indeed, if you are a freelance writer, you probably don't need me to tell you that this is actually one of the hardest parts of the job to get right, not just because pricing varies so widely, but in order to try figure out a way to price your services in a way that it's going to work out for you, is difficult, especially when there's so much downward pressure on writing rates, and that's not something I don't want to get into that whole that whole topic and what rates, how rates are doing at the moment, especially because of the pandemic. Uh, that's really for another day, or maybe for no day at all, in fact, because what I want to look at here is from the from the perspective of you, the person interested in thought leadership, the client. How do writers charge? What are the differences? Etc. So um, this is up on that, that URL that I gave you, dsrghostwritingcom insights. So I gave some basically at the start of this blog some very, very rough figures, and I'm not going to reiterate them because this isn't just about me, but if you are interested in using my services, then by all means go on to DSR Ghostwriting, and I do thought leadership for the technology sector, but also specifically blogs articles speeches ebooks and white papers all those are projects that i uh, that i can handle and that i have handled and there's a portfolio behind a behind a password uh, and that's just because those are by and large ghostwriting projects so i don't put them out in the open for that reason um, okay so basically the definitive answer to how much will x cost is always unfortunately it depends upon the job or more accurately please send me a brief and i will send you back a quote this is known as quoting on spec, which is short for on specification. So firstly, two ways that you're gonna be getting writing quotes and I at the I as, a, as an independent writer, um, on this end of the specification, in other words, my process is you fill out some kind of a quotation form, I think about it, I run a couple of calculations on my side and then I come back to you with a quote. If you're, if you're looking at writing for independent working with, excuse me, independent freelance writers, um, the smaller agencies, even some of the bigger writing agencies, this is probably going to be something like their process. However, if you're looking at getting stuff like SEO writing done through a content mill and you have a huge book volume of you know 30 or 40 uh, pieces that are gonna have to have, they're going to have to have the right keywords in them, Basically, it's a bulk quarterly job. In that case, you're probably going to be getting a, they might even have a pricing table up on the website. In a third case, you're going to deal with practitioners that have a set writing table and it's not going to be on their website. They'll, they'll keep that gated and uh, you'll have to request it by providing your contact information and that, of course, makes it easier for their salespeople to follow up uh, with you. So those are kind of the common permutations you're going to probably encounter if you're in the process of sourcing a number of uh, quotes from practitioners. Now I would say that the, the, the writers discuss amongst themselves the advantages of putting your quotes out there. Most would say that if you're in the more kind of boutique niche end of the business and I would put myself in that category it's kind of disadvantageous to put your rates on the internet. What I have is minimum rates and those are approximately Blogs, $350 and upwards. Articles, $400 and upwards. And I just do that so that I don't have conversations with prospects that want blogs done for $50 because, as I would explain, there's simply no way I can make that work economically. So that's basically, um, from a writer's perspective, why it makes sense and what you're going to be getting if you are going to look out. I will say that the people that are putting their figures out in table format uh, that's more on the uh, bulk as I said and on the content mill, content mill is kind of a slightly dirty word among writers for writing organizations that that chop out stuff very quickly, I don't want to diss them, I just would say that if you're looking for more, um, you know, writing with a bit more thought put into it that isn't just about getting, I mean you can tell by the name content mill that it's just churning out um content that ne- isn't necessarily of the highest quality volume and that's fine for people who like that and who are okay with that um, they, they they tend to have their pricing up there for everybody everybody and their and their grandparents as as some people say here in order to see um, so there's a few ways that writers can charge and i'm going to go through all of these in order that as a consumer of writing services, or or as a prospective consumer, you can get a heads up on what you encounter. I did write a few months ago a medium post called "Freelance Writing Pricing per Word, per Hour, or per Project and How Much of Each." I put that up. Uh, there's a link to that in this piece on the on the DSR Ghostwriting blog slash DSR Ghostwriting Insights, and I'll also put a link into that in the description of this episode. If I may say so myself, I think it's quite good. I know there have been a few other Articles written on this subject, but I go through basically what I have encountered in five years working as a freelance writer. Uh, that's just as a freelance marketing writer, not in, not including uh, my 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 time dealing with freelance journalism. And I I only mention that just because the per word um, the per word paradigm is more familiar to people in the freelance journalism, particularly the freelance magazine journalism world so that's something that a lot of writers that have come out of journalism and are repurposing themselves as content writers or as pr writers that they're going to be very familiar with and maybe biased towards so although i think it doesn't really make sense for writers to charge per word it remains very widespread and used as a yardstick of comparison between writers and a lot of that has to do with the fact that it's quite ingrained and embedded in the world of media, which as I said, is where a lot of uh, writers are coming from. Um, So the intended readership for this post is definitely freelance writers. But as I said, I think it's instructive for those uh, for those considering. So basically, the the three methodologies that I talked about in this post are per word, per hour and per project. Now, I'll just explain quickly what each of those entails. Per word is basically what it says on the tin. You, the writer, charges you according to how many words they write. If they write nine hundred ninety-eight words, they will charge you nine hundred ninety-eight multiplied by the uh, the rate. Now you may be thinking that sounds very petty if they charge nine hundred ninety-seven and not nine ninety-eight. Yes, in practice, contracts, you know, a lot of writers will say rounded to the nearest hundred words. I've always done that. I've never charged someone for. 993 words and kept mental count of it just seems petty uh, so a rounding mechanism is usually fair to let's say within if it's to within 100 and 200 words that means that the writer can overshoot a little bit on the word count and the client wins and other wins in inverted commas here I'm making inverted commas in the air in another scenario the writer delivers less and the writer gets paid more for not doing as much work so it all kind of balances out it's really not worth fretting over stuff like 50 words uh if you're charging or hiring a freelance writer based on this model uh, the other thing to, the other common question people have about writers who charge per word is well is it the word count on the first draft or the second so this is this is why contracts exist essentially writing contracts exist in order to trash out all these kind of boring but sort of relevant and uh handy to note details so my contract said it was on the first draft in other words i would send in a first draft and maybe in the second draft it, to be, it really depends in terms of whether clients add stuff or take away stuff but again it, it, it was it wasn't so much to steer to steer the figure in a way that was advantageous for my ends because i could easily find that a second or third party wanted another paragraph or two added to the text Um, It was it was more just to draw a clear line in the sand and to make my back office workflow easiest as in I write a piece stick that on the invoice at the word count when I um, finish the piece and that's that and then if there's another paragraph or added or another paragraph taken away it all kind of organically just works itself out over time Um, so that's basically what per word is. I did it for the first six months to one year because as I said, I did do a bit of freelance journalism before I even started this whole freelance writing and ghostwriting madness uh, racket, I like to call it sometimes. Um, And therefore it was familiar to me, but over time I came to realize that it was not necessarily the best. So I've just done up a chart called Pros and Cons for Writers and Businesses, freelance writing rates, and it's in this blog. You can download it as a PDF file and I've added advantages for writers, disadvantages for writers, advantages for clients, disadvantages for clients. I've added four columns and you can, you can see basically, so I'll go through it. For writers basically, and I'm, I'm gonna put emphasis here on clients because this, is, this podcast is for clients. Basically in a nutshell for writers, if you're quick, it allows you to uh, take advantage of that fact. That might sound like a bit of a scam. I encourage clients to think of it not like that. If you go to, and I don't mean to compare your average marketing writer to a neurosurgeon or, or make a comparison of that nature, but if you go to something like a doctor or a lawyer, they don't charge sometimes according to their time. Sometimes they do charge clients on an hourly, but if you're going in there for a consultation that takes five minutes or a doctor that takes 10 minutes, they typically have a flat rate for that consultation. And if they're quick, there's a, there's a great expression that sometimes you can do something in five minutes because you've been doing it for 20 years. And that's often the case with writers, that if you get good and you have a huge bank of experience to draw upon, or a big bank of experience to draw upon, you can do things both quick and well. And a lot of people would argue, and I would also make this case, that writers should be allowed to, uh, you know, to do that because it allows them to scale their income Uh, the more experience they accrue and that's typically how things work in a salary job the more time you're on a job your salary tends to go up up to a point of course an inflection point as you gain more experience um and therefore it's not necessarily reflected in the actual the, the hourly compensation will tend to scale um so that's basically for writers what's nice about it it includes, you could say, a built-in kind of um, scaling scaling point. Disadvantages for writers: it discourages brevity. That's not really a business one so much; as just a stylistic one. That if you're making, if you're being, if you're charging someone per word, and there's no limit on the amount of words you can write, you may as well knock yourself out and talk and talk and talk. And something, a general axiom concept thing about writing is that it's harder to write shorter than longer if you you know i've done my fair share of microcopy it's not what i specialize in but that form of writing direct response copywriting microcopy social media copy it can be really really hard to pare down messaging to the bare essentials and therefore it's a skill that's worth developing as a writer and that's worth keeping honed and therefore kind of uh the the per word model sort of actually works against that so um, it's effective another disadvantages for writers is that it's effectively a project rate. Now people don't think about it as a project rate, but if you think about it, if you are if you agree with a with a with a media outlet or with a client that you're gonna write eight hundred words at forty cents a word. So basically you've you've just created a fixed project for yourself. It's this many words, you're gonna be paid eight hundred multiplied by zero point four, that's your that's your money, that's the job. So basically, it is a project rate. I called it in this blog blog post a project rate in disguise, even though I think maybe that's uh, that's being a little bit paranoid about it. But that's kind of what it amounts to for writers. For clients, it's a fixed line item, and that of course only applies in cases where the text count is finite, and you can say there is eight hundred words multiplied by etc. If if the text, so I, I would just recommend that if you are a think about that if you are hiring a freelance writer and the per word model sounds good with you, then uh, it's worth stipulating a word limit. So I often get with clients in the spec, 1,800 to 1,200 words. Now, I don't charge per word anymore, but back when I did, I would get that a bit. And that's fine with me. Obviously, it's in my financial interest to write 1,000 words so I can squeeze that bit more out of it. I would say, practically, that was really not something I did, just because, you know, squeezing 10 20 dollars out of a client it's 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 not it's just not the best long-term business strategy so i would say to clients don't be afraid of that just give give the writers a bit of wiggle room and they'll deliver something within that um, within that word count that's going to be good and as brief as they can make it And that's important as i said Disadvantages for clients. Easy to get a bad deal. So yes, although I think it's it's fair for writers that they as they mature and as they accrue experience, they'll be able to, in a sense, capitalise on that. In another sense, yes, there is always kind of let's call it the potential for abuse built into that, in which the writer can just uh charge you an awful lot for something that is pretty easy to them. So that's per word. Per hour is when uh I'm gonna just go go through these a bit a bit quicker now. Per hour is pretty simple. The writer charges you for each hour of their time. In terms of how that works in practice, so it's common to use a um, to use a logging system. Now there's plenty of logging systems. You don't need to actually pay if you're if, if you're a client, you don't need to actually go and subscribe to a time tracking software. There are a bunch of ones that are free. There are a bunch of ones that are paid. So whether it's free or paid the writer has something to use. Uh, for example, Toggle is a decent one. I'm just gonna look through my menu here because it's a while since I actually used any of these to tell you the truth. Clockify, um, I use these because they're they're Linux Linux friendly. So they're probably not the most popular options that are out there. But um, the writer will use a time tracking software like, like those two names I mentioned. And they'll log per hour. So yes, it's kind of based on an honor system. If you don't want it to be based on an honor system there are time uh tracking softwares out there that allow you to that force the that automatically capture a screen share on the uh, worker's computer and they share these with you periodically so you can see exactly what that scamming conniving writer is up to um when when they say they're working so personally i i i think i would probably flat out refuse to use such a thing i find that really really invasive of privacy that's just me uh you also as a client might be uncomfortable with the notion of subjecting your writers to that level of scrutiny um, it kind of says you have very little trust in them at the same time you may not be prepared to have enough trust in them that you're prepared to give them a timesheet um, and you, you know they just fill in the hours if they're if they're remote and not being supervised so that's how it's administered, and uh, typically, you know, I would, if I was billing a client, and I, I've actually done all of these, I've done per word, per hour, and per project. In cases where I did a per hour with a timesheet, I would complete a timesheet. Um, I would either send the client a um, an export from Toggle, so, you know, go on to one of these time tracking softwares and choose export report, send that to them. Or it was on more manual and I would create a Google sheet and say, you know, between 8 and 11 a.m., three hours, at this much per hour, I worked on your white paper um, and that's you know, X many dollars, and then I itemized those as line items on my invoice so that's basically how the writer how that works that you can get them to send you the reports you can you can do a more automated system where uh you know they you can you can use a time tracking software for instance that's integrated to asana and uh, you can see them live and there's all kind of technological solutions and what which one you use essentially in my in my opinion depends on how much trust you have in the writer and how interested you are in technology I mean, if you wanna go for something simple, just say, hey, just send me a Google sheet once a week, once a month, and you know, I, I trust you. And you can have phone calls to make sure they're really actually doing what they're saying they're doing. That's kind of offhand, it works for a lot of people. Other people will prefer, as I said, one of these somewhat creepy screenshot solutions and they'll, they'll actually check what the writer is doing uh, remotely through looking at their computer and there's no kind of opportunity. And that might be those hours might be automatically integrated with the billing platform so that the actual invoicing this is an interesting system i've seen that the invoicing is done on the client side in other words they capture your hours, they know your rate and they will generate and then actually send you your own invoice for approval and then they'll pay based on that so all kind of implement implementations are possible so um, in terms of the advantages for writers you control your income so I've, i made this point in the blog that the only way to control how much you earn ultimately writing any kind of freelancing any kind of work for that matter you are trading your hours of life of uh, I, I i don't want to say life it, sound, it sounds too morbid you're trading your hours your most precious commodity your time in exchange for some form of re- remuneration um so the only way to actually say hey i need to earn i've worked out that my mortgage or my rent is this my average discretionary expenses are this um, i need to earn this much money divide this by and i've done another article about how to figure out your hourly your your target hourly and it takes into uh, the calculation all of those factors plus things people tend to not think about uh, sick days you don't get those as an independent contractor so you need to work those in vacation days likewise um, so basically the hourly is kind of the purest purest one from an income perspective because you just say this is how much i need to earn this is how many hours i'm working per week this is how many billable hours here's where people here's where some writers screw up because they just don't they just divide by the hours thinking that all the hours in the day they will be working for clients it never never works that way i've never met anyone that bills 100% of their their time. I I call this, this is my own terminology, I call that a billing ratio. Uh, I propose 50-50 as as the best billing ratio because it means you can spend 50% 50 of your time actually working, 50% of your time administering, professional development, um, business development, sales, that kind of stuff. There was a statistic I read once that, let me see if I can find it quickly, that your average, that your average office worker is only productive for three hours per day in an eight hour day the average worker is productive for this many hours oh it's clickbait i wish they would just say i think the answer here is going to be three reading news um so basically it's not a lot of time so my point in citing this statistic here Okay, here we go. Yeah, three hours. Research suggests that in an eight-hour day, the average worker is only productive for two hours, fifty-three minutes, three hours. So that, if you think about it, your average worker is there at their desk for eight hours. They're only actually productive for three hours. It's less than fifty percent. So when people say one hundred percent billing average, I say no way. That's just not going to work. You're going to have to find clients, sales funnel. When people say fifty percent. I say, I don't think that works, you know, sorry, 66, 33, two thirds of their time spent on billable hours, one third of their time spent on everything else. I again say, I'm not sure that's actually going to work out for you. Because think about it. I'm recording this podcast. It's an inbound marketing activity. I wrote this blog. I I could easily have spent eight hours per day just on content marketing, handling email correspondence, um, everything else, developing the website, i can't even remember i've been doing a bunch of things today on asana, and i haven't written you know I could not have written the thing so i don't think that's realistic anyway sorry i'm I'm digressing a small bit um that's the hourly so the the writer firstly needs to needs to actually understand what their the hourly they need to make is and then go ahead and charge that but if if they can do that right, then it's their best way of actually reaching a target income. conversely, they cap their income at the hourly so whatever they determine is their income and they're going to be assiduous in charging that every hour for all their clients well that is good but at the same time they've just limited their income and therefore they might they 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 may need to every year or every second year sit sit down with their accountant again and go through their books and come up with a new hourly to meet a higher income objective if circumstances change etc and they, they, you know, what the income that sufficed two years ago doesn't cut the doesn't cut the mustard now. Um, you can't take advantage of being fast. Remember, I said I think it's viable for writers in some respects to uh, to be. I think it's fair that in certain respects, people who've been doing stuff for a long time can take advantage of being quick and good at what they do. Uh, clients often balk at highly high high hourly rates. I would call this one of the dark secrets. One of the dark secrets of the trade, and I'll talk about that in actually the next next point. It's because it's an it, because it's an advantage of project rates. Um, clients, you know, have this idea that writers are worth X and lawyers are worth Z and the hedge fund managers are worth Z, and sometimes um, they just won't tolerate certain hourly rates because they think, no way, I can we can't pay that. But if you give them the same rate. In a project fee and that's why that's partially why i recommend for writers because i recommend you make your hourly i recommend you limit the the the, the clients need a fixed number to go on their budget so i recommend you give them a fixed number that takes advantage of your hourly and therefore i build quotes along those lines okay from the client's perspective the the hourly rates uh it's nice because it's flexible so if you have a freelancer doing a bunch of random jobs. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a client I work with quite regularly, uh, very regularly in fact. And some of it, some of its articles, they send me a bunch of different things, from from a core type of work to cleaning stuff up to miscellaneous projects, miscellaneous writing projects. And it's easier. I have I have fixed deliverables in that contract for uh, the writing stuff, but for other stuff, they say let's just do the hourly. So it makes it easy for. Um, people hiring freelancers to put a line in the sand and say this is gonna be, this is for cost control, what, what we know your hourly is, and then they only, to really get cost control, they only need to then limit the amount of hours that, that they say a certain task can do. And again, this is just contract stuff. Unless there's a limit, disadvantage for clients, unle- yeah, and this is just the same point that really I just made, unless there's a limit to the number of hours that can be billed, it isn't a fixed expense. So in terms of how to do that, it's kind of difficult to say um okay the hourly and i think the way you can phrase it as a client and look i I'm, I'm not sure about this because i'm not in the habit of hiring freelance writers myself all the all these wonderful insights you're seeing on DSRGhostwriting.com are written by me uh, as i do not use my own ghostwriters ever um but you know mm-hmm. i'd imagine you could just say uh the hourly rate is this um i estimate it would take you six hours do you agree Rider says actually th- this is something i have seen in the in the, the writer seat and i would say uh, i think that's a little bit conservative let's say eight hours and uh or that's fine and they agree and therefore the client has that fixed number eight multiplied by hourly and they know what they're budgeting for this uh for this engagement per project um okay so per project is the final one we'll look at and this is when you have a fixed income for each job now i have made the point in this blog that retainers are just basically project jobs right um they are you basically say your retainer is going to be for going to be i'm trying to stop saying gonna these little contractions in this in this podcast i'm sorry dear listeners um and I'm sure I'll do it again in in, in, in two in two more minutes. Um, per project, a retainer is essentially a project. The retainer model says we'll be paying you two thousand dollars a month in exchange, typically in exchange for this set of deliverables. Uh, to writing, pro- it's more commonly used in PR, but certainly in, in for writing engagements, it can be done too. Uh, you know, for three hours of media monitoring per week, for two press releases per month. For uh, account management, for two account management calls, and that bundle is packaged by the PR company or solo practitioner and exchanged for a retainer. So retainer to me is actually a project. There is a set of deliverables. So there's a fixed volume of work. There's a fixed volume of money, and therefore it's it's a, it's, a, it's a project. It's like a recurring rolling project. So that's per project is a fixed per project slash retainer. Let's say. There is a fixed income for each job. You can take advantage of accrued experience um, because you can. They it's not limited by time, so you can. You know you can say you can do something that you're quick at and good at, um, and you know get a good rate for yourself. Essentially, clients often agree. And here's the kicker that I that I talked about previously. Clients often agree to project rates based on the same very same hourly they would have had a problem with if you had presented it to them as per hour. So that's just a uh, pro tip for writers okay uh scope creep can spell disaster scope has to be precisely controlled for so the big pitfall from writer's perspective of these project rates and even as a even in the client seat is actually worth knowing what's good the advantages and disadvantages for writers because you need to if you're interested in retaining good writers or your writing team um, it might be helpful to understand what works for them and what can be problematic so scope creep can be an absolute, take it from me, can be an absolute disaster. I said in this blog, the worst writing disasters I've had, the worst contractual disasters where I uh, did not protect myself well enough in the contract, all were always due to scope creep. Scope creep is when the scope of the contract is not sufficiently well delineated and uh, it ends up, you end up doing way, 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 way too much work for the money being offered so a client could pay a 500 euro job and it's fine you know I, I don't want to give specific examples because that that would be unprofessional um from my from my own previous experiences but you know you could hire somebody and it could have all these ancillary activities that or the revision cycle that's a classic one i i enforce the limit on my revision cycle it is slightly controversial i may go back in it if i think that people aren't really gonna abu- going going to abuse it but that would be a classic one where um you know I, I i don't mind sharing this one example where it was when close to when i was starting out in this writing game um actually this isn't a, this is not an example for me when I was starting out in the writing game and I was doing a a simple blog piece, a fairly straightforward job for a corporate client, nothing, uh, you know, interesting company, but nothing terribly difficult. And uh, so I did, I did my couple of rounds of revisions, pretty simple stuff, track changes, small comments, you know, that's standard, send it back. And uh, six months after I'd sent in round two, it had been passed on to round three and they were like the third round of revisions is ready and i I had already been paid for this project because i email, i invoice monthly uh at at the at the at the least frequent and i couldn't even remember i could barely remember the client it was one of these uh, just a, a, a small account a couple of jobs and i was like what this is absurd six months later three cycles of revisions for like it was you know it was not a high paid project, it was one of my initial projects and I was like, this is ludicrous. So basically that was that 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 was why I was like, okay, I needed my contract. I I need some parameters. And the parameters I've gone for is two rounds of revisions. And it's not to be nitpicky. It's for this reason to say I can give you the best possible price, including two revisions. And two revisions is a good amount to get something over the line and if it's really, really a long thing you can ask for four and I'll quote you on four. Or we can do two, uh, and if two aren't enough and there's more input required and more people want to look at it and give their feedback, um, I can charge per hourly based on that. Um, It actually, I would make the case that it encourages clients to have their, I'm gonna say something else, but to have their thoughts more together. If you say there's two revisions, guys, I know there's four people that want to look at this, so instead of a sending it to b sending it to c and c disagrees with a and b disagrees with c and it's a whole internal mess bang your heads together coordinate your uh thoughts about this article and send it back to me you've got two shots that's it and if you're not happy more money guys it actually i think does clients a favor sometimes because it says you have to it's like a form of subtle coaching financial coaching you say look none of of this stuff about sending stuff back five or six times every time you have a new thought think about stuff be less chaotic please and uh, i will happily do this and if there's more than that this so uh, scope creep for for writers is a potential disaster that awaits from the perspective of uh, clients the fixed project fees are a fixed line item it costs a certain amount that that amount is fixed it goes into a budget beautiful um and the disadvantage for clients is you may be forced to work with writers ah i have an apostrophe wrong in this blog you may be for you may be forced to work with writers which should be the apostrophe at the end collectively rigid term so if you're right if you're working with um someone like me who for that reason has has determined that they need to uh create their their policy about how many you, you may be forced to work uh according to those terms because the writer is trying to coordinate uh, sorry to 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 enforce some kind of scope control so that's basically it in terms of the three different methodologies now i i basically tr- try to figure out a way that would work the best for both people so i i need to make my hourly and the clients need a fixed figure so what i do is when someone comes to me and they say how much is a writing job going to cost? And this is, this is coming back to the very start of this podcast. When I say, uh, I don't know, I don't know, it's on spec. Uh, there's a reason for that. And as I said here, it's not code for, it depends how much I can get out of you. Let me have a think about that and ask around. It's not a scam uh, at all. And it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's really not. And that's the reason I explained all this, besides the fact that I hope it was somewhat interesting. It's because I need to I need to sit down and figure out what kind of a project is this and how much time is it going to take? And once I can do that, I'm able to go ahead and build out a quote. Now, I've seen this done. I love when you learn from your clients. And I had a great client recently that taught me um, the art of putting together a great quote and I included a sample quote here. And they actually, it was kind of weird because they did the work for me. Um, I told them basically my the, the fee and the revision process and they actually did up a spreadsheet based on uh, how much I had told them what I had told them everything included in a phone call and a zoom call they went ahead and formulated a uh, spreadsheet and with line items for I said the outline two hours this two hours this two hours and it was kind of almost a proposal from the buyer's side And I was like that's uh, weird kind of weird but the way you've done this is very logical and I should probably adopt this so since then i have started more rigidly mapping out doing my own uh, time breakdowns for a project now the one i did in this blog demonstrates and this wasn't really my purpose but i hope it does show why blogs can sometimes end up why sometimes they'll you will be quoted seven or eight hundred dollars for a blog and that may seem absurd but i gave an example of a thousand word blog post about serverless architecture in the cloud now this as i said if this does anything i hope it's my service to other writers to explain to to people that might have a hard time seeing why writing why for many writers including me we just can't do $100 jobs unless it's you know like a really really quick thing but in in most cases why quality writing serious writing for B2B clients can't cost $100 it's not for it's not because of greed it's it's there's actually mathematics and I say this as I say this is not the most mathematically brilliant guy And because I'm not mathematically brilliant, I need to do stuff like plot out tables so that I can see for myself and make, you know, have it make sense for me in front of me, this data. So I plotted out. I I said it was, and this was again, close to a real example that I had to produce a a new client. Here's our test scenario. A new client needs a 1000 word blog post about how to secure a serverless architecture in the cloud. Serverless is uh, a big new thing in cloud computing. I've talked about it in somehow every episode of this podcast, every recent episode um, in which, you know, typically uh, how do I, how do I explain this simply? You uh, people used to have servers, physical servers in, in their data centers and their offices, you know, you'd have a server, a computer sitting there on the in, in the wall in the rack. And then uh, stuff migrated to data centers, which we call the clouds nowadays, even though the nothing, if we want to get frivolous about it, nothing really exists. No real computing actually exists in the cloud, except for maybe the International Space Station and some satellites. But uh, what we mean by the cloud is professionally managed third-party data centers. Usually there's public clouds, private clouds, hybrid clouds. Uh, But just to give a shorthand, that's what we're talking about. Um, And Nowadays, serverless instead of having firstly with virtual machines, virtual servers, and now the actual server images are being moved around. Serverless means does not mean there are no servers, it just means that they're not tied to a a server or even or even a virtual server uh, in a data center. They're just fluid between between different data centers and availability zones and etc. Um so serverless is fascinating. It's the new thing along with, uh, you know, Kubernetes and other, other, other trending things in the whole world of uh, cloud. Um, But this was something very close to what I did recently. So they said, "Ah, how do we secure serverless? So they said, take a look, please, at this cybersecurity conference in which our chief cloud architect spoke with another guy about securing serverless. And I said, okay, I will do that. I will watch that. Very complicated. Uh, They also had a rigorous internal workflow that they insisted on in here on adhering to. If my target hourly rate here were $60 per hour, and I think that's quite reasonable. Um, as I said, when you work out your what you need to be charging in order to get vacation time and whatnot, you'll quickly see that 60 is pretty, unless you're living somewhere very cheap, uh, that's pretty s- middle of the road even, let's say. Um, and the client insisted they would require two rounds of revisions. So sometimes this happens. So okay, happy to work with you on that. The internal quote template template I might follow could go something like this. Phone brief with clients, half an hour. Uh, watching conference panel and transcri- transcribing key quotes and moments, that can take a long time. 2.5 hours, one hour panel, replayed one time, bit of writing, half an hour. Drafting the outline and getting the client's buy-in, that is often part of the deal. They need, they need to see the outline before you even start writing. Additional research about securing serverless, 1.5 hours. I would say actually conservative, uh, but let's say 1.5. Three hours on drafting the first piece. Uh, One hour spent reviewing feedback to the first piece and three hours spent drafting the second piece. At the rate of 60 bucks per hour, that that project outline came up to $720. There are people who would say, oh, $700 for a blog? We can't do that. So I'm just explaining. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, not going to try to um, uh, insult some clients' budgets or start a whole controversy about this. But that is just why um, quality writing, writing done slowly. I I don't I don't want to be too self flattering here and, and say well I'm quality. I would like to think that I do good quality writing the best I can for my clients. Um, but you know, writing good writing that's done well and meticulously and properly researched and properly uh, revisioned and edited, uh, especially when there's stuff like looking at a conference panel um, that it's based on that, then yeah, you're looking at something, you could be easily looking at $700 or if not more, if not above $1,000. So that's basically it in terms of the contents here for this piece, uh, I was just kind of following through the um, blog or the insight, I should say. We should start saying it with a different accent, insights. That was the insight followed through. Um, Just in conclusion, uh, when people quote on specification like me, uh, it's done so because they're trying to figure out usually how many hours, what's the scope. They're making sure they can control for the scope. And if they're charging per hour, they are trying to figure out how many hours it's going to take, including all the stages and milestones along the way from initiation through to completion. Uh, I have found that the employing the above methodology leads to robust and consistent quoting. Uh, when writers, this, and here, here's just, here this will be my final point. When writers know they're being fairly, com- fairly compensated for their time, they can do their best possible work for their clients. And I would add to that, and they don't need to do it in a rush. That's the worst thing, is when you have to rush through. It, it, it's just, it's just, um, it's not, it's kind of anti- antithetical it's kind of, uh, it does not work with the creative process when you have to be stingy and parsimonious with your hours because the budget is is not there to support something more. Uh, so it, I, I would like to make the point, and of course it does sound a bit self-serving coming from me, I would say cheap, under underpowered writing budgets do nobody any favours. They don't do the writer any favours because they're not going to be doing great work that they're going to be putting in their portfolio and saying, look at this piece, I put my all into it, I'm really proud of it. Uh, it's not going to be doing you any favors because you as a client are going to be working with someone who is going to be forced to uh, as I said be parsimonious and economical with the time that they spend and uh, you know it's also it's just going to create kind of resentment and that always that never works out well that is it for today's episode about why start with taking as a jumping off point why i price writing on spec i hope this has been of interest this will go up on again just to remind the url is dsrghostwritingcom forward slash insights you can also access that from dsrghostwritingcom forward slash blogs do please check out this insight and check out the previous insights about the code red and the edelman linkedin study and of course if you have been bowled over by this episode and determined that you do need to engage in thought leadership and engage the services of a thought leadership writer then why not go on to dsrghostwriting.com and check out my service offering which includes articles blogs ebooks white papers and speeches and you can use all of these different assets and we're going to be going through all of them in this podcast in order to improve your thought leadership and if you think that that is a buzzword a meaningless buzzword i refer you back to episode 10 in which I challenge that and uh, I delineated the reasons why thought leadership and content marketing and PR are all in fact different activities even though uh, it would be true to say that between PR and thought leadership there is quite a degree of overlap. So that is it dsrghostwriting.com please feel free to use the contact form or the book meeting form if you would like to get in touch and I look forward to bringing you episode number 13 very soon. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to another episode of the DSR Ghost Writing Podcast. To learn more about how writing services can improve your business and enhance your bottom line, visit dsrghostwriting.com.